Amen. You may be seated. I do appreciate our worship team for, for leading us this morning. Jake, thank you so much for that wonderful prayer. And just to echo what, what Jake said, shared, it is such an honor uh, and such a humbling privilege to stand before God's people and to speak about what God has shared from his heart, what God has given to us uh, through the miracle of the divine inspired word of God. We call it the Bible, of course. And, and just to stand up here before God's people and just have the, the privilege to, to speak to that, hey, that's pretty humbling. And, and I thank you guys so much for gathering both here and, and online to, to just hear this, this weak and stammering uh, believer stand up here and and just talk about what God has shared with us. And as, as we, we talk about this, this closing message of our special Jehovah Jireh emphasis, we're going to focus on a topic that is just germane throughout all of Scripture. Uh, without this topic, it would all just fall apart, uh, even as we look at the, the title of the message uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to call it Growing in Grace Through Giving. Growing in grace through giving. And, and, and the word that I was speaking of is that word grace. Uh, grace ought to be a critical part in the heart, play a critical part in the heart of every believer. Uh, I know for the Apostle Paul, it, it was an important word for him. And the, the writings that he's, he was blessed to, uh, to have the, the Holy Spirit speak through and have us recorded in the New Testament, uh, all of Paul's epistles, uh, the word grace plays a, a very prominent role in everything that he taught, everything that he was all about. And if, if you were ever to take a survey of all of Paul's letters, the, the thing he closes his letters with is some word about grace. He, he would say, grace be with you, or Grace be with you all, or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's throughout what Paul has shared from his heart and how the Lord has motivated him. So when we talk about giving, it's got to be qualified with this word grace. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in specifics here in a second. So 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 1 through 7. You know, Jake's already read that for us. Uh, we will be referencing that uh, throughout the message. And so I, I just ask that you, you turn your Bibles to that and keep your fingers there because we're not only we're going to talk about chapter 8, we're also going to encompass chapter 9 as well because both of these uh, chapters together reflect a very important episode uh, that, uh, that Paul wanted to share with the believers of Christ. You know, even as I, I talk about grace, I, I'm also reminded uh, of another important hallmark uh, of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's this. Uh, I, I always want to say this, and I love to say it because it touches my heart. Uh, Jesus Christ accepts each and every one of us just as we are just where we are, 
just how we were. But there's an expectation that we don't stay there. So Christ accepts us where we are. He brings us into the body of Christ. And wherever we are, there's none of us too low. There's none of us too high. He, he meets us where we are. He brings us in. But the expectation is we just won't stay there. Uh, a, a Christian that is not growing in their faith, well, there's something really wrong with that. Uh, throughout the course of scripture, uh, over and over again, we're exhorted that once we are in the body of Christ, to remain a babe is not where we need to stay. We are compelled by scripture and through the Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us to grow, to begin that process of becoming more and more like Christ each and every day. We, we tend to call that progressive sanctification. We, we, we want to be formed more and more each and every day into the image of Christ. And our beloved God, who cares for us so much that he would send his only begotten son to die for us, he is actively involved in every aspect of our lives to make sure that we do just that. That we're prompted to go from wherever we are to start that journey of moving more and more to be Christ-like. Yet, yeah, a Christian that's not growing in their faith, that's a really challenging situation. So Christ meets us right where we are. But the expectation is that we're going to grow and move on. And so that's what we will see playing out in the verses that we're going to look at today. And Paul is really going to be examining for us and telling us about a growth among a group of believers that is truly exceptional. It's a growth that demonstrates they were excelling in their faith of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a, great, it's, a, it's a growth that is facilitated by the most basic of biblical principles, the principle of grace. Now, grace is not just something we receive, but it also becomes the motivation for everything we do. So we're going to take a, a, a quick look at a good little technical definition of the word grace. It's going to come on the screen here in a second. Uh, it's, it's a little wordy, but I think maybe I can work through it and, and break it down a little bit. Uh, and here's that definition. Grace is the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. Told you that was a mouthful, didn't I? Let me read it again. Grace is the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. You know, uh, that's a good overall definition. 
uh, Pastor Sam has a way of breaking that down to its essence. Uh, if many of you have been around a while, you've, you've heard Pastor Sam uh, describe grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, that's pretty good. God, grace is, is the unmerited favor we receive from God through the offering of his son to pay a debt that we could not pay on our own. And because of what Christ has done for each born-again believer, we're now able to experience the riches that God only offers to those who become his beloved children. And God has given us his son. And now we are able to grow in him. And that's why we call this message, Growing in Grace Through Giving. Now, how is that possible? Well, again, back to that long definition that I've just said about what grace is, uh, that definition reminds us that grace is an unmerited gift, meaning that it's not a gift that is given because someone has earned it. And that's a vital characteristic of the nature of the gift. It is unearned. It is unmerited, spontaneous, because it occurs, the gift is given immediately upon salvation. That, that's the essence of the gospel. Hey, if you're here this morning and you're not a member of the body of Christ, but the Lord is sitting there knocking at your door, you too can receive this free, unmerited, instantaneous gift from God. All you have to do is open your hearts up to his invitation. If God is knocking on your heart right now, I extend to you an invitation. As soon as this message is over, find me or one of our elders or leaders or even one of the members of our church. Pull us aside and we would love to sit and pray with you and talk with you about what the gospel is and what you may be experiencing right now. And so we can have the joy and the privilege of walking with you through to understand how grace is at work in your life. We'd love to have that privilege this morning. That would be the greatest gift that you could give to us on this Jehovah Jireh Sunday. A lost sinner acknowledging their sin and being prompted and moved by the Holy Spirit to move out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. It's all done by grace. Grace, God's unmerited, spontaneous, immediate gift that he extends to each and every one of us. But there's a second aspect of grace that is crucial for our understanding and that's buried inside of this little technical definition. And here, here's how it goes. It says, the divine influence operating in the individual. Uh, now, what is that? You know, grace is not only the immeasurable, unmerited gift that we've received from God. Grace is also the divine influence or the motivation for everything that we do and everything that occurs in the lives of God's people. 
You get what I'm saying on that? That divine influence is the motivation for what we do. Grace is not only what we receive from God, it also fuels why we do what we do for God. If there's no grace in it, then it's not from God. Because grace becomes that influence that motivates us to to continue to grow in Christ. A growing Christian is one who's motivated by grace to cultivate a heart of giving because God has given us so much. You know, the, uh, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says that we love because he first loved us. I could say that we give because he has first given to us. As we grow in becoming more and more like Christ, our, our giving grows accordingly. And, and let me just remind you, we're, we're not just talking about financial matters, although that's important. We're really talking about everything that makes up who we are as people of God. And that's what our message today, and that's what the passage that we're looking at today actually models for us. A group of people who are in dire situations were motivated by grace to do what they did. So here's here's the outline for our message uh, this morning. We're going to have three points. Uh, Point one is, no matter the situation, no matter the situation, grace giving compels you to keep on growing. Uh, The second point, no matter the situation, working hard at grace giving produces joy. And we're going to close out with that third point. No matter the situation, working hard at grace giving produces quality as well as quantity. Produces quality as well as quantity. Let's take a look at that first point. Okay, and and I want you to go back and and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Let's review those. Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of wealth and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The churches of Macedonia included a group of churches. We've got a map that kind of depicts where they are. Uh, You can see Macedonia up to the north. There's Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi. And and Paul was was down at Corinth as he was writing this letter. Rome is actually to the left or to the east. You can see Ephesus, which was located in Turkey, uh, to the right. And so we can get an idea of where these churches were located. And Paul was quick to remind us, as we again look at the passage, that these churches, they were in poverty, poverty at its deepest. They were experiencing a severe test. Now, it's interesting. A lot of us, when we we get to tests and we get to trials, 
We, we want to run away from those things. Amen? But the scripture seems to say that we need to approach those with a different kind of mindset. Uh, I think that's what uh, Brother James, uh, who was the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ and the head of the church at Jerusalem, wanted to share with us. In James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, listen what James says about trials and tests and how we should approach those. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a, prom, a prime operation, a prime objective in, in trials and tests coming our way from God. And, and that's the backdrop that we see what's happening with these churches in Macedonia. Now, let me just be uh, upfront with you guys this morning. I think it is really difficult for most Americans, and that includes most of the people that are here this morning, to really appreciate the severity of the crisis that this, these churches and these saints were experiencing. There, there are few of us uh, that have gone through a financial crisis to the extent that these churches were. So, so to help us understand that, maybe I need to talk about the fact that these churches were dirt poor. Can we relate to that a little bit better? These churches were dirt poor. Now, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I grew up dirt poor in the Bayou country of Louisiana. I, I was, in fact, just to share a little bit, I, I was born in what was an old slave cabin located on a plantation in the area that they called the quarters. That's where all the slaves lived. Now, that, that cabin that I was born in had been replaced several times over the years. But the foundation that that cabin sat upon was still there. And over the years, it had just gotten compacted and hard and firm with all the use of all the people that had lived in that place. And I could remember as a little boy, I was there with my mom and, and you know how moms are, they can, they can get to you quick. And mom said, son, I need you to sweep that floor. You get it, a dirt floor. And so I looked up at mom. I said, mom, it's a dirt floor. Why do we need to sweep it? And with those big blue, blue, big brown, beautiful eyes, she looked out at me and she said, son, it may be a dirt floor, but it's going to be the cleanest dirt floor you've ever walked on. Now, let me tell you what, for a little boy, that made a huge impact on me. It made a huge impact that says, son, no matter you, where your, what your situation is in life, you might be dirt poor, but that doesn't define who you are. Whatever situation you find yourself in in life, 
you do your best to make the best out of it. You start from where you are, but you don't stay there. You continue to do whatever it takes to move from where you are to where you need to be. These believers in Christ in Macedonia, those folks were dirt poor. But that didn't define them. Unfortunately, we live in a society today where we're not willing to accept what we are. We're, we're looking for excuses. Somebody did this to me. Somebody you know, didn't give me the opportunity. And, and all of that may be true. There's, there's forces of evils out there that want to keep people suppressed and, and down. I, there's no doubt about that. But what you do with the circumstances that are placed upon you will define so much about who you are. And there is nothing better that you need, nothing more powerful than the divine influence of grace. It will compel and propel you into doing things you never thought possible because you're trusting in the Lord. So with that little clarification, son, sweep that floor because it's going to be the cleanest floor that you've ever walked on. Was really, I think, a cornerstone of helped me to develop the kind of work ethic and outlook on life that I needed so that at this morning I could stand and speak before you. So I really can relate to these dirt poor believers. But that's where we need to start but not stay there. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, Paul starts to talk about what the impact of this gift that this church was going to give uh, to the Jerusalem saints. He says, at present, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Archaea have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Verse 27, it really speaks to me. It says, for they were pleased to do, pleased to do so, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, as God blesses us, we need to stand ready to bless others. And if there's anything Jehovah Jireh represents, it's our opportunity to take from what God has given to us, which is rightfully his, and to give it to others in support of the ministry. And that's the type of giving that flows from a heart of generosity, a heart that has been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is a heart that is eager to grow in giving that reflects the joy of knowing Christ, regardless of the situation that anyone finds themselves in. And that brings me to the second point. No matter the situation, working hard at grace giving produces joy. No matter the situation, working hard at grace giving produces joy. People who have the heart of Christ, when shown an opportunity to meet the needs of others, they just jump at the chance to contribute to helping meet the needs of whatever. And that's an emotion that comes 
from the joy, from the grace of giving. The emotion that comes with the grace of giving is joy. And that's a stunning paradox. It's a stunning paradox. Generosity in spite of affliction and poverty and joy in the midst of testing and affliction. What an interesting paradox. Things are going as bad as they possibly could be, yet given the opportunity to give, to give by grace, motivated by grace, produces joy. Joy. But that's unfortunately not what we see in today's church. You know, when I think about today's church, especially the church in America, we have been blessed. Uh, if you look at the, the financial numbers, even the poorest among us in America, compared to the majority of the world, we are rich. But yet, does that prosperity reflect the fact that when we're asked to give, that we give with joy? Or does it reflect something else? Sadly, we have examples of that in the Bible as well. Uh, in Revelations um, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, we hear these, these sad, sad words about a church that was rich, but yet poor. Here's what John says. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, here's the church, here's what the church says. For the you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They were a materially rich church, but spiritually wretched and impoverished. Unlike the churches of Macedonia, who brought joy to the heart of God, instead, because of their lack of joy, he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. So when I think about my giving, when I think about my giving, I ask myself the question repeatedly, does what I give bring joy to God? Have you ever asked him that about your giving? Have you ever asked when you come to give that it's producing joy in your heart? But you know what it takes to get to the point where giving produces joy? You have to work at it. You have to work at it. Uh, I don't know about you all, but I personally know that nothing brings me more satisfaction than when working hard at something and then seeing it succeed. I, I love to step back just a moment and just feel good about it. I, I especially enjoy when the situations and the circumstances that I've worked through to accomplish whatever God has put before me, when those situations were difficult, when they were difficult, but yet I, I, I stood the course, and I worked at it, 
and, and I worked my way through that dark tunnel and, and I came out the other side into the bright light, I could step back and with a deep sense of satisfaction and joy go, I made it. I stuck with it. And, and that's what joyful giving is all about. Being committed to doing the hard things, enduring the hardship, enduring affliction, because we know that in doing so, it will bring joy to the heart of God. Amen? So there, there are some evidences that we see uh, in these churches at Macedonia that, that are testimonies to the fact that they were willing to work hard. Here's the first one. They were giving above their ability to give relative to their financial status. That's obvious in how we read this passage. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There was nothing. They were skimping on this thing. It's like coming to a Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday, and the only thing that's served on the platter is the turkey neck. Well, what happened to the rest of the bird? No, uh, these people were willing, regardless of their hardship, to give wealth and to give it generously, the best of what they had, over and above their financial status. Here's the second evidence. It was totally free of human, human prompting or pressure. Verse 3 says, for they gave according to their means. As I can testify, Paul is saying, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. No one had to force them into making this contribution. There was not someone uh, standing up on the bully pulpit and saying, you must give, and you have to give, and, and you're a, a dark sinner if you don't give. No. Uh, they were giving out of their own accord. That's what God wants. And we'll talk about a cheerful giver here in just a second. Here's the third evidence. They were insisting on being allowed to give as demonstrated by their begging to do so. Look at verse number four. He, they, were, they were not only responding to the opportunity to give, Verse 4 says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Whoa, isn't that impressive? Begging for the opportunity. How many, how many of us here are begging for the opportunity? Lord, just give me an opportunity to give some more. Just a little bit more, Lord. Let, let, me, let me have the privilege of doing that. That's exactly what verse 4 tells us. They were begging for the opportunity. That's, a, that's an evidence that we are growing in the grace of giving. Here's the fourth evidence. It was not limited to financial aid only, it, but it began with giving themselves. That's what verse 5 says. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Genuine, grace-filled giving begins with the first step of giving yourself to the Lord. 
If your heart is not likewise motivated by grace and is, is lacking in those four points that we just went over, then your motivation for giving must be examined. It has to be examined. And that's where for chapter 9 really comes to play uh, in our discussion this morning. For there's, a, there's principles that Paul starts lay out in chapter 9 that reinforces the situation he opened up in chapter 8. For instance, there's the principle of sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, let's get this straight. Paul used that language because the people he addressed at that time, they could truly understand the reference he was trying to make. Sowing and reaping uh, was a, a very common activity to many of the people because they were farmers. They understood the principle that in order to produce a bountiful crop, the hard work of preparing the land, sowing the land, harvesting the crop was all required. This is no get-to-give prosperity gospel. That's not what this is. It was the blood, sweat, and tears gospel that led to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I think, in fact, what, what Paul was trying to do was, was give them a lesson with an end in mind. And what is that end in mind that, Christ, that Paul was trying to get across to the believers? It's this. The hard work required to get more so that one is able to give more to the gospel. That was the end in mind. They, they wanted to get more so they could give more to the gospel. In fact, I think that is the motivation that brings joy to God's house, heart. That's not, it's, listen up. If you're listening to me, say amen. Okay. It's not about getting more so that we can spend more on ourselves. I know we're getting close to Christmas. Nobody wants to hear this. But let me say it again. It's not about getting more so that we can spend more on ourselves. I truly think God doesn't give us more because he knows exactly what we're going to do with it. We're going to consume it on ourselves. Bottom line, here's the deal. We don't give to get. Rather, rather, rather we, give, we get to give more. We don't give to get. We get to give more. And Paul was clear about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, let me read that to you. Here's the, first, the fourth. Paul says this was the third time that he had come to the churches. And he came not to be a burden, but he came to seek what was, he came to seek them, but not what they had. It all starts with the whole concept, you must give yourself first. God knows our hearts, and he knows, sadly for some of us, the more we get, the more we keep to ourselves. 
And sadly, that is an evidence that we can see from the people in America. Uh, I was reading an article by a group called Candid, and this group tracks the giving patterns of Americans. Now, let me just read their latest report, just a paragraph or two from their latest report that talks about the disparity in giving from those who have much versus those who have little. Here's what Candid says. Recent surveys have found that not only do the poor donate more per capita than individuals in higher income practice brackets, but their generosity tends to remain higher during economic downturns. People in the bottom 20% of the population in terms of wealth to get, tend to give more than their capacity to give. While those in the next two-fifths or the top 40% don't give near as much. The latest survey of consumer expenditures in the U.S. shows that the poorest one-fifth of American households contribute on an average of 4.3% of their income to charitable contributions. What do you think the top give? 2.1%, less than half. God knows your heart. And he won't let you be tempted above what you're able to bear. So that's why he keeps some of us dirt poor. Because he knows the more we get, the more we get, the more we keep. Instead of the more we get, the more we give. That's the principle of the cheerful giver that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. In that verse, he says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's that joy again. If, if there's not joy in giving, we have to examine our hearts. That's where, again, Paul reiterates what he's already taught in 2 Corinthians 8.3. For they gave according to their own means, uh, and above and beyond their means, out of their own accord. We have to give not under compulsion our expectations, but because of the joy of giving. We ought to be cheerful givers. Here's the third point Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Do what you have promised. Give out of what you have, not what you don't have. Let's, let's read that last, last sentence again. Give out of what you have, not what you don't have. So Paul is saying, do what you've said that you would do, but be mindful to not make pledges out of something that you don't have. Uh, it's so important that when we look at giving back to God with joy, that we're never compelled or forced into giving something that we don't have. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 again, going back to that chapter, look at verses 11 and 12. Again, Paul is saying that if you've committed to do something, follow through with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 11 and 12. Here's what Paul says. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according what he does not have. That's a clear principle that Paul is saying should be evident in our growing and giving. Give out of what you have, but once you make the commitment to give, follow through. The Lord never wants you to give what you don't have. And we need to remember that everything that we do have, all of it comes from the Lord. The very air that we're breathing right now, if we didn't have it, we'd all die. And where does that air come from? Did anybody in here work for it? No. That air is given to us freely by God. We need to be careful to make sure that we follow through with what we've committed. Uh, there's an interesting story in the Bible that refers back to that principle. It's back in the book of Acts, chapter 5. You ought to read it again. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we all know what happened to them, right? They made a commitment. No one was forcing them to say, hey, I'm going to give this to the church. Uh, they did it of their free and own free will. But yet when the time came to give, what did they do? They held it back. And, 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 the, and the writer, uh, Acts, tells us in verse 4 of chapter 5, when it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but God. When we make a commitment to support the ministry of Christ, we need to follow through to it because that's a commitment to God Almighty. And to not do so, to not do so could lead to dire circumstances. And we don't want that to happen to us. But before I leave this point of working at, um, at what you've committed to give to God, I don't want to leave on a, a down note. Let me leave on a high note. One of the greatest stories of giving that I see in the New Testament is the story of Zacchaeus. You remember the wee little man? You know, our kids sing it about it in Awana and in children's church. Sometimes I think we forget that story. We ought to sing that song ourselves. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. It's, it's found in Luke chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Let me read those passages. He says, so he, so he hurried down, this is Zacchaeus, and received him joyfully. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, these were the religious, righteous people of the time. And this is what they said about Jesus. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, if anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. So he is also a son of Abraham. Now, what was Zacchaeus' motivation for giving? It's the pure joy of receiving salvation as a gift 
of grace. Not only did Zacchaeus give in the moment, but he also planned in his heart to give in the future when the opportunity presented itself. Being a new believer, he gave 50% of his income to the Lord, half of his goods. And, and so if anyone thinks that 10% is enough, you ought to read Zacchaeus' story. But not only did he, he do that, Zacchaeus also planned for the future. He said, look, as it comes to my attention, I'm going to give fourfold going forward. Now, I, I, I kind of think that's 400%. Now, if I'm wrong about that, somebody can correct me after the service. But that's 400%. 400% of what he had. That is generous giving. That is a heart that is motivated by grace to continue to grow in giving. And so that brings me to the last point. No matter the situation, working hard at grace, giving, produces quality as well as quantity. It's quality as well as quantity. Paul is not exchanging quality for quantity. So let's look back again at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Here, here's what we need to keep in mind one of the points that I think if you walk away from this passage, it's easy to miss, but we need to bury this deep in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. But as you excel, underline that word excel in your Bible. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all eagerness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. God demands that we excel in both quantity and quality. That's what Ecclesiastes 1 means. 11.1 1 says, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, he says, cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. Solomon is teaching that to cast means to send away, to cast away, to cast out, to sow, to spread, to send forth, to stretch out, and to stretch in. You know, when I think about casting, I translate casting into a principle that I often teach when I have the opportunity to talk about financial stewardship. I've come up with this little acronym that has really helped me so much when I think about what it means to give proportionally to what God has given to us. Uh, instead of the word cast, I use the word toss. T-O-S, toss. Uh, now here's what I mean when I say toss. The T in T-O-S stands for tithing. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Joe uh, stood up here and he says that when, the way we view tithing here at the church in West Park is not a rigid 10%. It's, like, it's making a commitment that you're going to be a regular contributor to the ministry here at West Park, whatever that level is. Remember earlier we said that God meets us where we are, but he doesn't expect us to stay that way? Some of us have gotten ourselves into such a deep financial mess 
that we can't give the way our heart even wants to motivate us to give. But here's the deal. Tithing is the principle of making a regular, committed contribution to the ministry. Start where you are. Maybe it's a dollar a week. Maybe it's a quarter a week. I don't know. That's your situation to work out with the Lord. But start there. Now, it's great and it's good to have that 10% target in mind. Work your way up to that. Begin that process of saying, you know, I want to get there, Lord. I'm not there yet right now, but I'm going to work towards getting there. That's what that T is. Commit to a regular, sustained, ongoing contribution to the church. Uh, now, if I had time this morning and I need to wrap things up, I'd talk to you about another little financial rule that I have. It's called the 10% rule. I'm, not, I'm going to tease you with that right now. If you want to know more about the 10% rule, find me at the church and I'll tell you about what that principle is. But I want you to look at that T and toss. Make a commitment to an ongoing contribution to the work of this ministry at wherever you are. Start where you are, but know that you're not going to stay that way. You're moving forward. And that 10% is a good target to move forward. Now let me talk about the O. The O represents offerings. We have tithing, which is our base amount. The next level is O, the offering. That's what Malachi 3.8 says. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Offerings are not your tithe. Jehovah Jireh is an opportunity to give an offering back to the Lord. It's over and above whatever that basic level of commitment that you've purposed in your heart to give to the Lord. When you make contributions to the organizations, Christian organizations that are not the local church, and I know many Christians do that, and, and I encourage them to find those para-church organizations, those organizations that have come alongside the local church to carry out the ministry of Christ. Yeah, if you find a good para-church organization, contribute to them. But that's an offering. That's not your tithe. The tithe needs to come into the storehouse. That's what that O stands for. But let me move on quickly to the S. What, what does that S stand for? The S stands for sacrifice. Sacrifice. I, I call this giving like Christ gave. This is, this is giving that when you do it, it hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit. It, 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 maybe you've been planning something for years and years and years, and then a need comes up, and, and, and you're moved by the Spirit to meet that need, but it's going to hurt. Uh, Terry and I have been married for 42 years, and one of the little projects that I've got in the back of my mind is for, for every year that we were married, I've been saving to buy her a, a corresponding diamond ring. I'd be up to 42 carats right now. I mean, I, I've been saving and I've been stashing it away. And then every now and then something comes up and the Lord says, I mean, I, I, would you consider? And I go, but Lord, I've been saving for Terry, for the 42 carat diamond. Sorry, Terry. 
And it hurts me to take that money and, and, and give it to that need temporarily. Because Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now look, I'm taking that a little bit out of context. But, but there's a little grace here, right? It may hurt you in the moment, but you know what's waiting for you at the end of the story. And when God moves in your heart to take that and, and to contribute it to the work of the ministry, you do so with gladness. And that light and momentary affliction that you face at the moment, it's quickly gone. And when it's gone, you just start over again. Just start over again. But God is good. He's always to give, always there to give more than we could ever give back. Amen? So, that, so that's what I wanted to share with you this morning about growing in grace through giving. How do we do that? No matter the situation, grace compels you to keep on giving. No matter the situation, working hard at grace produces joy. No matter the situation, working hard at grace, giving produces quality as well as quantity. Our worship team is going to come back up and lead us through one more song. I really want you to reflect upon that. Uh, the Jehovah Jireh offering is going to be open uh, to the end of the year. And so pray about what God would have you to do, not under compulsion or any kind of pressure external to the pressure that you may feel from the Holy Spirit, who is at work in your heart, to give joyfully. Lord, we do thank you again, Father, for all that you've done. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you gave us Jesus. And again, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, we ask that you move on their hearts right now. Give us the privilege, Lord, of being able to set it with them and, and to talk with them about the gospel of God who is given to us freely of his Son so that we can enjoy more than we could ever imagine by being reunited with him in faith. We ask that you would bless us, Lord, and bless us as we go forth from this place, but that we'll never, ever go from you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.